Em Rossiano and Michael Lucas. If a girl looks like me, I'll go for her. I mean, come on. You've got to respect that. <laughs> this is Emsolation. For me, it was just blank rejection, no sex. <laughs> I don't think parents congratulate kids when they come out every time. I know I will if that happens here. That's your dream job. Sit at home with a microphone. Judging hot people. <laughs> You're in Emsolation. Hello, darling one. How are you? Your pal M here. I'm going to keep the intro very brief because I've just finished recording with Michael Lucas and we did go for nearly an hour. We really sometimes forget the microphones are in front of us and we're just on the phone. Today we talk about a show we've both become a little bit obsessed with, Indian matchmaking, but also there's a a lot of, it's, it's quite problematic, like everything we bring to this podcast. So we talk about that. Uh, Taylor Swift dropped a surprise album. And um, we also talk about the, the rise of the term Karen, referring to middle-aged white women behaving badly. Obviously, you've all heard about the woman from Bunnings who refused to wear a mask. She knowingly, like she knew Bunnings had a policy instituted that you must wear a mask, come to the store because they're wonderful human beings. She deliberately didn't wear one, deliberately filmed it. Then she went to a post office and harassed someone else and filmed it. So she was really on a roll and has received backlash, rightly so, and been called a Karen. But we do worry for all the nice Karens out there. <laughs> and also there isn't a male equivalent. And believe me, you, you, me, believe you, me. <laughs> There's a lot of white middle-aged men behaving badly. There's a lot of men behaving badly. I feel like they need a name too. Why don't we have a name for them? We talk about that. I also just want to let you know that I'm aware that I am in Victoria and a lot of you are not. So I do try to find a balance between talking about how grim it is here and not boring the rest of the country with what's going on. So to my Melburnians and um, out of Victorians who are in the lockdown, I'm glad to see a lot of you out there wearing the masks. It's the middle of winter. We're really going through it. We had 532 cases today, which is hopefully the peak And remember, the numbers are kind of lagging. So these are numbers from a few days ago before masks were mandatory. And in New York, after they made masks mandatory, you know, it took two months for there to be a real significant drop in numbers. So I'm hoping by September, you know, things turn around. But for the rest of the country, oh, I see the things from Perth. I've got my friend Janelle in Perth. And oh, it's it's hard to see. I am thinking about having to mute anyone who's not from Melbourne. (laughs) on my feed because it does remind me of how I could be outside doing outsidey things. Uh, but yeah, I'm thinking all of you guys who are in Melbourne with me and in Victoria, you know, we are just, we're all doing our best and go gently and go easy on yourself. It is exhausting. It's weirdly exhausting not being able to do things, isn't it? I think it's all the emotional overthinking that goes on. Uh, here I was saying I wasn't going to talk for long and, you know, as usual, crapping on. Uh, so yeah, but to everyone else around the country, Good on you. I'm totally jealous. Please enjoy life for me. And it's hard to see myself doing a tour. Do you think they'll let me in as a Victorian? Do you think next year when I want to try and come to Perth or Adelaide to do a show, will they let me through and whichever giant appendage I've decided to blow up for next year's tour? That's the other thing. You guys just might go nuts. Sorry, none shall pass. Oh, well, any time will tell. Uh, thank you again so much for choosing Emsolation as your pod of choice. I will remind you that to uh, help us move up the charts, you need to subscribe, you need to leave a nice review. I suggest five stars. And also 
recommend us to your friends. A lot of people are kind of scared of podcasts and I know that we're a lot of your first podcasts, which is great. Uh, just remind people that they're free, that they get, you know, this unfiltered, not many ads version of entertaining people. So once you finish listening to the pod today, can you just share it? Bring a friend, bring a friend. It's how we move up the charts by downloads. Each month we get a download report, they release the charts and we're doing pretty well. Each month we go up in the charts, which is great. So um, every time you listen, that counts toward Michael and I doing well. Just remember that. You're doing your bit. Just like if you're in Melbourne, don't be a mask hole. Wear a mask. I didn't invent mask hole. That is out there on a meme. I don't know who invented it, but they're a genius. All right. I'm going to get out of your ears. going to bring Michael in. Lots to get to. Play the music. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. I was under instruction actually to watch a certain show by this man. I don't know why I talk about you like it's a new co-host every week. <laughs> the Hello, mystery Michael. unveiling. <laughs> I know. Every time I bring you in, it's like, who could it be? Who is it? Who is it? Uh, who is it? Who is it? Ah, it's Michael. <laughs> One day you could sub in someone else. No way. Oh, my God. There would be 20,000 people in complete uproar if you weren't here. <laughs> Honestly. People are very emotionally attached to you. I have to tell you right now. Um, oh, shit, I've lost my coffee. Wait. <laughs> oh, there it is. It's above my head. So we've got lots to talk about today. We've got to talk about Bunnings, Karen, who I've just watched the video and I'm ashamed to be a white woman. Um, <laughs> and we need to talk about Taylor Swift's surprise album, which I love that she did that. It's inspired me to do a surprise show. But first of all, we want to talk about Indian Matchmaker. Matchmaking. Oh, Indian Matchmaking. Oh, I thought it was called Indian Matchmaker. Just Might referring as well to. Be. Oh, <laughs> to Simi. To oh, Auntie yeah. Simi. Simmer. <laughs> is it Simmer? Yeah. Oh, it is. Simmer Tapu. Oh, I can't. <laughs> Simmer. Auntie Simmer. Let's call her that. Auntie. Uh, you said to me, you, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. And I said, look, I've been circling it. But in my heart, I worried that it would be problematic. Oh, it is. Well and truly problematic and strangely riveting at times. It's absolutely dominated my uh, five bedrooms writer's room because we have in our writer's room this amazing writer, Matilda Gupta, who uh, is a young Indian-Australian woman who was on the dating scene herself. Oh, wow. And she is, can't stop watching it, can't stop watching it. It's torn between thinking it represents everything terrible about the kind of caste system and prejudice over there, but also kind of strangely wanting Simmer to come and matchmake her. She's just <laughs> completely torn. And I feel that same tension watching it. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad. I, I was in, I was really interested to hear from an Indian Australian. I did know that. I do know that you uh, you have some Indian Australians in the cast also and in the writer's room because you strive very hard to have a diverse workplace and I'm very proud of you and you always have and that should be noted. Um, <laughs> so that's how I felt as well, being a non-Indian uh, Australian watching it. So I can only imagine how triggering, triggering it is. But Basically, to explain the show, Sima is Mumbai's top matchmaker, as she announces every time she walks into a room. And I love how she, she always says, I'm Sima from Mumbai. Like, that's her, <laughs> that's her opening line. So, straight away, she's placing herself, you know, in a hierarchy. Yeah. And um, 
Basically, wealthy families hire her to match with other wealthy families. It's a family match, as they keep saying. It's not just a match of two people. It's also two families coming together. And then also she goes to America to to match up Indian-American women as well. And men. I'd be intrigued to know how much of her American businesses was, was just for Netflix and how much <laughs> of it happens all the time. I know. Because <laughs> the stuff that goes on in Mumbai is – much more traditional yeah. and then in America the women are allowed to like have opinions and be lawyers because one of the women was a lawyer, is a lawyer, and then you just, she announces she's a lawyer and then you, you switch back to Sima and she says, oh, men are scared of lawyers. Yeah, well, and that's a partner who is riveting her as, oh. as, a, as a, I was going to say a contestant in this show. She's not a contestant. As a subject for the show, she's really fascinating. Her approach to these dates is. Oh, my God. We, uh, I need, we need to talk about the, the she's a, um, oh, God, what's her name? I've got a look at her. She's. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, she has an intensely close relationship with her mother who looks exactly like her. <laughs> And basically everyone on the date is guilty until proven innocent. And she, like her level of shooting someone down really early on, like even when she meets another lawyer and the lawyer says, oh, I really enjoyed my job, she'll just look at me and I go, that's weird. Why would you say that? I know. And he says to her, do you not like being a lawyer? And she says, not particularly. <laughs> and then she says, I don't like funny people. Oh, that's right. <laughs> she doesn't like comedy. I hate comedy. You know that. You know how I hate comedy. She doesn't like the beach. I love that one as well. I, oh, I hate the beach. Oh, my God. I hate the beach. I like the ocean, but yeah, I hate the beach. Such a distinction. Why would I want to spend 10 days on a beach? What's wrong in my life that I need to relax for 10 days? It was incredible. <laughs> and then she walks out of the date and she's like, yeah, I think that went well. And he's just backpacking. He has literally left the date and has gone to pack his suitcase <laughs> in which this incredibly immaculate Indian-American lawyer um, proclaims that he's very kind of like messy and thinks that she would find traveling with him a nightmare. And then you go, and then that they very cleverly pan to his immaculately packed suitcase, color coordinated. She goes into every day with the energy of like a bad cop in an interrogation. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And yet she does it with so much assurance as though she is totally believing that she's going to be the hero of this particular story. It's riveting. And then, and then her mum and Sima, they keep flashing back to Sima. She's like, the mother is very negative. (laughs) (laughs) I feel negative vibes coming from the mother and they do. And they look exactly the same. I love that the, the younger sister or the older sister has just been married off to a white American guy yeah. and there's been no intervention there. The mother clearly has a favourite. And the mother also says at the start, I told them when we come to America, they must get three degrees, three degrees and nothing below an A. <laughs> and they never questioned that. And then and now I have a lawyer. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So then also we meet um, Nadia, who I took a very shine, a big shining to. She was beautiful, one, wonderful. She puts on weddings. She's a wedding planner but also has a Bollywood dance class She's business. pretty much, if J-Lo were Indian, J-Lo would play oh. her in a movie because of the she's, event. But she's literally a wedding planner. She is and she's stunning. Beautiful. And lovely. And, oh, God, it was she, she goes through some hell. Jesus. She's from Guyana, which. Yes. Even though she's of Indian heritage, 
she's not, her family doesn't like, for at least generations back, her family doesn't come from India. They, they were relocated to Guyana. And yes. so because of that, that's also, that's very problematic in terms of dating because there's, as she says, as the matchmaker says, just point blank, the Guyanese, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> and I know. That's what's, that's what's deeply troubling about this Correct. is. That's where we get to. Oh yes. man, the car yep. system. And it, it is basically, this whole system is set up so that, Basically, you can maintain the power structure and the cast never have into marriage or anything like that with the power is contained. And so if you're a Guyanese, as Nadia is, then, you know. That's low. You've left India. You're not even there. And what freaks me out is they're so frank about that and about occasionally things like saying things like, I want fair skinned and things like that, that I just, can you imagine what it must be like if there weren't Netflix cameras trained on them? I mean, how brutal would they be in terms of their racism or casteism? And that's the thing. Like if you're an Indian woman who's say under five foot, dark skinned and not thin, then they paint the prospects for you as very bleak. And that would be extremely triggering for Indian women watching this. And also, like, it is this weird normalising of kind of regressive standards that Indian women are forced to live up to and and they're just reduced to, are you a suitable wife? You know, all those things. And uh, and I didn't even realise how strong that Hindi system of hierarchy is. I didn't understand that. I had no concept that. It's very staunch over there. And if you if there's cross-caste marriages, you can get killed. I didn't realise. I think we have this perception that, you know, I mean, India's undergone so much change recently in terms of industry and everything like that. And and you imagine you imagine that perhaps so many of these traditions have sort of moved on as yes. the country's got more westernised, but they're still trenchantly oh. there in all sorts of disturbing ways. But the thing is, I mean, the good thing about this show is that I it's shone a light on it for me, I didn't realise and then I've just spent the night furiously researching and Googling the car system and how he- hectic it is and because and they were throwing out things like, oh, yeah, light-skinned is better, good family is better and Jill and I are looking at each other going, is this allowed on the telly? <laughs> like, is this? It's but is Do you think, is the show, I mean, the show presents all of that, but do you think the show is sort of critical enough of that? Because no, it's not critical at all. At a certain point, you just, like, it's presented kind of like a conventional dating show. Like, at a Correct. certain point, you just accept it and then kind of want people to, you know, want some of the dates to work out. Yeah, and that's the problem. You, if you want to enjoy it as a dating show, you do have to turn a blind eye. And, and I do find it is kind of, I did find it a particularly enjoyable dating show because the contestants weren't, the contestants, I kept saying it, the people featured <laughs> weren't, like, people to go on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. No. There were some of them were, you know, really not the kinds of people you normally see on dating shows. Oh, normal people. Exactly right. And and often it was just so apparent in terms of the way they navigated these situations why they were struggling to get into a relationship. <laughs> and that's also the interesting thing. I mean, this, in this, I mean, Married at First Sight, of course, is another <laughs> big mm-hmm. reality show that explores, you know, we, we, we have all this idealism about meeting people, falling in love and meeting people and marrying. But, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> is the secret to a long-lasting marriage love at first sight or or is it about that you're, you're matched with someone and you have to make it work? And, like, I mean, I think ideally it's a combination of both. <laughs> but, I mean, if you strip it right back, the way Simmer does it, it, it makes sense. Oh, I mean, totally. I mean, by the inherent racism and the terrible structural everything. 
But, I mean, she has the biodata, which is a very comprehensive two-sheet document with a nice picture, which she's made sure is accurate. She's eyeballed the person. Mm-hmm. So there's none of this dating app business where people can put filters on. She very specifically goes and looks at the person. Then, you know, they've got where they studied, what their likes are. Like it's, it's e-harmony but with kind of this charming, slightly disturbing Indian woman fronting it up. <laughs> and the matches, she says, are, are often very good. But then they also kind of intersperse it with chatting with very very elderly Indian couples who were matched, you know, not in a love match but in an arranged match. Yeah. And they're all like together, you know. One woman just says, he just stopped speaking 20 years ago and <laughs> I just solved the arguments with myself. <laughs> and part of me who has been with my husband 20 years in a month gets that. You know? <laughs> part of you thinks that's a strategy you and Scott should maybe explore. <laughs> He stopped speaking. You make all the decisions. (laughs) Well, I think we have just naturally found ourselves there. I do sometimes find myself arguing in circles while Scott sits there kind of looking half sleepy and half confused. (laughs) And how did you go with Prattuman, who was the jeweller who also made the small Tiny doll's clothes. (laughs) Has an immaculate wardrobe. Very beautiful. Wears Gucci loafers with no socks. Um, very keep keep referring to himself as a creative. I'm a creative. I'm a creative. Does love, like we said, to sew tiny dolls' clothes. Um, 150 women all rejected. Why? Why has he rejected these 150 <laughs> beautiful, perfectly selected for him women? No one knows <laughs> why. And who are we to say why? <laughs> but I have a fairly good idea what could help Simmer. I think perhaps she's looking in the wrong area. Um, <laughs> But who are we again to say why? <laughs> well <laughs> done you for getting out that sentence quite diplomatically as no who doubt are... the gator in your mind screeches hey! a don't gale you? force alarm. No, we I'm not don't... saying anything. Just We don't want to even talk about the gator. We just want to say he is a tall, very attractive, immaculate man who loves making dolls' clothes, is a jeweller, has a wardrobe with a lock on it because he loves his clothing so much that is set out like a Neiman Marks store <laughs> and loves making intricate cocktails and amuse-bouches. Who are we to cast suspicions on anything about his anything? <laughs> but... Certainly not I, not you. I loved him so much. He was so lovely. But, God, 150 women he's rejected. And the ones we saw were so beautiful. I mean, so she beautiful. never she never explicitly says you have to match people on, like, an equal plane of attractiveness. But then clearly when you see the matches, <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. She's doing a little calculation. And, you know, I don't want to be brutal about it, but if someone's a C-, minus, they're getting matched with a C-. Oh. Minus. That tends oh, to be what happens. But she even says that. I'll give her a 98 out of 100. So I've got, you know, I've got to go find another 98. <laughs> So, yes, um, watch it. But, again, as we've talked about, hold it in two places in your heart and mind. Yes, it's a dating show designed for our escapism and entertainment, but also very problematic in terms of setting the women of India back many centuries um, and displaying the caste Hindu system of hierarchy uh, and the unacceptable normalising of regressive standards. Watch it with the same <laughs> split focus that you have to watch every single thing that we talk about on this show because it's, so it's like moths to the flame. We can't stop watching the most problematic things. I don't know what it is, but even I want everyone to know as I'm watching it, I do feel uncomfortable. 
Like there, I'm not sitting there pushing away that stuff. But I do want to say this show did draw my attention to it, so now I'm educated and I do wish the show had have been critical of the system in place. Do you know what I mean? Like I do wish that that had happened because I worry that a lot of white people are watching this show and not understanding that it's problematic and just accepting it, therefore reinforcing that normalisation, that what's happening to Indian women. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't know that they're deep diving at 1am as I did. No, they're probably just enjoying it, you know, in the way that they enjoy all the other terrible dating shows, which, you know, let's face it, it's pretty, pretty standard for a dating show to reinforce some of the worst aspects <laughs> really of our oh, society. And racism crackles through most dating oh, shows, whether they, you know, correct. intend it to or not. I mean, yeah. The Bachelor is not going to win any particular prizes for diversity, at least in no, this it country. Is it is not. Or is it going to win any prizes for progressive standards for women? Because I had to stop watching Bachelor in Paradise because about five minutes in one of the contestants announced he was eating pineapple to make his jizz taste nice for the ladies so you know (laughs) it's 2020 guys (laughs) so that's where i'm at moving on oh i watched the bunnings from karen video this morning let's let's, from karen bunnings from karen did you hear that karen from bunnings let's play a little bit of karen from bunnings this woman has walked into a bunnings store sans mask she's got her camera ready to film because she knows there's going to be some kind of confrontation because bunnings rightly announced anyone not wearing a mask will not be allowed access to their store so she has filmed herself without a mask knowing full well what's coming Let's have a listen to Karen. Sir, I'm just asking if you've got a mask. Well, it's clear I don't. Well, and you are not authorised to ask a... me or question me about it. Would you like to speak to the manager? Sure. Do you need a medical certificate if you guys aren't wearing a mask? I actually don't need a medical certificate if you refer you to the DH. No, I'm allowed to do this. That's and you're discriminating I'm not, against no me. discrimination. We're all just trying to all be in this together. And you're not authorised by the Australian government to even question me about it. It's a condition of entry of our floor as, as a... Then that's discrimination problem. and I can have you sued personally for discriminating against me as a woman. We're not discriminating against anyone. You it's are. It's a condition of entry to all Bunnings. It's not. It's an unlawful condition of entry. Yep. Therefore, that ex- exposes you personally and Bunnings to being sued for discrimination because it is in breach of the 1948 Charter of Human Rights to discriminate against men and women. I don't even have to have this conversation with you because you're not authorised by the Australian government to even question me. As I said, it's just a condition of entry. To I don't care. It doesn't apply to me. It does not. Please stop recording me now. I'm not going to stop recording you. It is my right as a living woman to do whatever I want. Oh, Jesus. Oh, as a woman, (laughs) as a human woman. It's so painful to watch. It took me a couple of goes before I could get right to the end of that because every moment of it was like nails down a blackboard. It was hideous. And those staff members really were pretty much deserve the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, incredible. Part of me just wants to go to Bunnings to work there to take on any anti-masker. Do you know what I mean? Like I want to, I wanted to have a go at her. The whole, and then she went to a post office and did the same thing to some poor guy who doesn't get paid enough to deal with her bullshit. She's just, she's going out deliberately looking for confrontation over the masks. Oh, yeah. This whole situation is so baffling to me. I don't, I still don't understand. And there's this, oh, shameful from my 
area neck of the woods, there's a girl who tried to jump the border. Um, she's an anti-masker also. The, the girl in the Akubra hat, the young girl who wanted to, you, she's from where I live. My, my daughter serves her at the deli. Oh, no. Yep. Yeah, oh. the one he tried to cross the border, but she did, and she was gloating about how no one checked her and how it's unlawful. She's also an anti-masker, yes. Oh, no. Mm. Oh, God. Even the fact that we have the phrase anti-masker. Oh, there's mask hole. Um, <laughs> there's all sorts of terms coming out now. I know the anti-maskers, well, I mean, anti-vaxxer, anti-masker, I think you can just exchange them. I feel like the anti-maskers are out, the anti-vaxxers are outing themselves via no mask. Mm. I think that's what's going on. But why do you, I mean, you're always very good. I'm a bit more black and white than you. (laughs) Generally, I struggle. You're like me just with the volume turned up a lot. I don't understand why people won't wear the masks. Please explain it to me so I can see the other side because I'm struggling. Oh, God. I mean, it's this ethos of personal freedom and as, as she keeps pulling out the 1948 Bill of Human Rights. It is in breach of the 1948 Charter of Human Rights to discriminate against men and women. I'm pretty sure, I mean, we can't contact the people that fought and drew up the Bill of Human Rights, but I don't think they were imagining a situation in suburban Bunnings in Melbourne (laughs) when someone was demanding to be served mask-free in a pandemic. But also the, the, the insistence that they were discriminating against her as a woman, I'm like, mate, you didn't have the mask on your vagina. I don't understand. <laughs> How has your gender got anything to do with this? I know. I, I, it's just this ethos of personal freedom. It's the same. It's all connected to me in the same way that I cannot understand why people are so desperate to hold on to their guns in the United States when it's so clearly bad for the whole society. But there's this sense that I don't know. Your right to do whatever you you want, regardless of the effect on other people, is just sort of enshrined, and it defies understanding as far as I'm concerned because it's so clear that mask wearing is for the greater good and it's such a minor thing. It's such a minor thing. And we accept so many other things. We accept that we have to put our seatbelts on. We accept all sorts of public safety measures. Why? We accept that we have to wear pants. Like, you know, <laughs> it's just a thing we do. We, we pop on some pants when we head out. We may not want to, but that's just what we do. But the, the other argument that's bewildering to me is, okay, well, if I have to wear a mask, then, you know, the government should have to pay for it. And I've seen a lot of women say, yeah, well, we've been trying that with tampons and pads for many years, but, you know, good luck with that. Oh, yeah. And oh, so we, this is an emergency measure that we've put in place. Well, how, what are we going to do? Set, like, set up some sort of system that you invoice the government, get all the masks out, <laughs> just grab something, to convert a T-shirt, convert a sock. There's 80 it, gazillion oh. online videos that will show you what you need to do. But I just think people don't need to look at this as an attack on their personal freedom. They need to look at this as an act of love for people who are immunocompromised. Like 10 people died in the last 24 hours in Melbourne. 10 people. So that is 10 funerals that now families are having to plan. This is a one small act of love for people who are immunocompromised, for their elderly, for, you know, for anyone in society that if they get coronavirus, it's not just a, a mild cold. It is life or death. And I just think if you are saying, I don't care about someone's life, you're a fucking asshole. You just need to pop the mask on. That's that's it, and that's a, such a small act to say. I care. I, I care about other people, and I, and I and I'm remembering my humanity. I don't understand. It also helps 
to, you know, when you go outside and you see everyone wearing masks, it's also, apart from being a good, just practical safety measure, it also reminds you that, because yeah. it's so easy, this, you know, it's such an insidious disease, this one, and it's so easy to let things slip when you're out at the supermarket or something like that. And just seeing the visual of everyone wearing masks sort yes. of reminds you, keep to yourself, don't, mm. you know, don't crash into other people or anything like that. So yeah. even on that basis is worth having, it's, it's it's just so depressing. It's the, it's the smallest thing. And I do want to say I believe it is the minority, truly, oh, totally. because when I'm out, we went to do the food shop yesterday and I, 9 out of 10, and anyone who wasn't wearing a mask, I was looking at very severely. And I do feel like we need some kind of badge for people who have medical certificates. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to single them out, but some kind of hand signal, a gesture, a hat, I don't know, because I know there are some people who genuinely can't wear the masks, yeah. which is fine but I do look very closely at people not wearing a mask and I can't help but judge. I do judge. I'm putting my hand up and I'm saying it. <laughs> I will judge you if I see you out in public not wearing a mask. But just do it. Just For do God's it. Sake. We, we, if you're listening now and you're in Melbourne and you're not wearing a mask, you can't be friends with Michael and I. I'm sorry, you're out. <laughs> you can't be our friend anymore. In tandem with this, though, I am, I'm also feeling conflicted about the fact that we're calling this woman Karen, which... Oh, yes. I mean, Why is that? Tell me, tell me. Well, Karen's really risen up as this is this term. I do feel terrible for the real life Karens of the world. My mum's best friend, Karen Reed. Sorry, Karen. I've got a lovely friend, Karen Weaver. We call her Kaz Dog, though, so it's not too bad. But yeah, there are some. She lovely may need Karen to get her name ones. officially changed. Do you think that's what's going to happen? Because <laughs> oh, it, it would is be hard to ring up. Say you genuinely have to ring Telstra because your phone's on the fritz, and they're like, oh, what's your first name? Uh, yeah. <laughs> sh- like, are Karens now having to? Are any Karens out there listening? Please contact us. Are you being discriminated against now because your name's Karen? Oh, and, and and typically they are of the baby boomer generation. Oh, yes. But not all. Like, the, I, the, a friend of mine, Karen Pastorius, is this amazing actress, and she's just landed the starring role in this big Russell Crowe thriller, Unhinged. And I feel like, yeah. oh, God, she's rising to fame, but her name's Karen. Is this <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> What's gonna and also, I'm a little bit like a dickhead's a dickhead no matter what gender. Yeah. And that woman, it's obviously not just white women of a certain age that are behaving that way. The, the no. uh, you know, and so there's this part of me makes it a little, it feels a little bit uncomfortable that Karen, you know, is obviously completely gendered. It's referring to a white, very gendered. white woman. And that, in that particular case, you know, she, she deserves the scorn, but it's not. I was going to say it's not necessarily the fact that she's a woman, although she did keep pointing that out again and again. It is my right as a living woman. She's a woman, guys. She's a woman, human woman, in case you were wondering if she was an alien. She's a human woman, and this is infringing upon her rights, as stated in the 1943 Human Rights Charter. <laughs> but I just, is there, what's the male equivalent? Well, that's, Karen? yeah, that's the issue here, I but think. what is the name? What What's the name? I don't, there isn't one. Russell? Robert. No, they're like many things. There's, there's, there's hardly. It's like there's no male equivalent of slut. I mean, it's so not true. really. I mean, there's certainly not a. There's, there's not one that you'd be condemned. You know, for. and I, I do understand. In some ways, I, I think Karen as an idea, or like the kind of personality of Karen, is sort of shining a light on somehow. There's this sense that white men are the source of all evil and white women are comparatively more liberal and tolerant and everything like that, which is probably frankly true. Karen has risen up because, you know, particularly a lot of people of colour have talked about the sort of yeah. insidious nature that that prejudice presents itself 
in women. The thing that's tricky about it is you see Karen as an insult has been adopted by a whole lot of people that are also seeking to say, shut up, lady. And in this case, uh, we're 100% agreeing with them, but it's one of those terms that, I don't know, she's just a dickhead through and through as far as I'm concerned. I need to write a song, Everything is Problematic. (laughs) (laughs) God. I hadn't actually thought about how Karen is very gendered. All right, fine. Before you go, um, I text you fervently on Thursday night because Taylor Swift announced she was dropping a surprise album, Folklore. What a moment. What a moment. Very unlike her. Very unlike her because she does like a build-up. Can I just say you texted me and then it took me a while before I gathered myself, saw the message and checked, and then by the time I checked, 14 minutes had passed since she posted it. How? (laughs) You? What are you? Do you get some sort of alert when Taylor does something? Yes. I do. But what was really interesting for me was the timing. So Kanye West had been spruiking that he was dropping his album on the Friday Mm. and then she's all of a sudden announced on the Thursday night that hers is coming out. So, again, the Taylor-Kanye situation, I find it fascinating. Kanye's album was not forthcoming, which is not surprising to anyone. Some are even doubting if he's even written one. Mm. Um, But Taylor certainly was there in all its beautiful, nostalgic, melancholy, longing it was a real gear shift for Taylor. It really was, and it needed to happen. And while it still feels a little contrived, as so much of her persona does, yeah, right, I like yes. it. Like I for, t- for Taylor, for me, I have a very complicated relationship with Taylor Swift because I watched her documentary, and again, it felt very contrived. But I also saw her. I genuinely saw her as a very complicated, very talented very damaged person who got very famous at 16 and kind of got stuck in time, as has happened with Britney, as has happened with Michael Jackson. You know, you become super famous at a time and then you tend to get frozen there. Mm. And, and I think she's been trying to shake that with all her different incarnations, you know, and every move has been very calculated, like Madonna. You know, it's a new theme. It's a new and she embraces it. But I think when you do that, when Madonna does a new incarnation, she always maintains her Madonna-ness, the pull-through is always you know who she is as a person. But I think with Taylor, every reinvention, she loses herself a little bit more, a little bit more. I was a bit troubled. Like last album, the Lover album, she came out with that first single about like felt like two years before the album came out. I'm the only one of you. Yeah, Yeah, me with an exclamation mark. And it even had this chant bit in the middle of that was like, hey, kids, spelling is fun. And it's like, mate, you're 30 now. And it felt like such, and I totally get it. It was like she wanted another shake it off. She just desperately wanted it. And I totally understand if I were her, I would want another one of those too because that song is going to be played at weddings for the rest of our lives. No question. (laughs) But it felt too juvenile uh, for, for the age that she's at. And so what I love about this is that it feels like she's speaking from where she's at now. She's, she's, she's an adult. She's an adult. She's a, she's a mature woman who's, 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 you know, had heart. I mean, I know she always thinks about heartbreaks, but it's always had that sort of, you know, dear diary kind of slightly juvenile thing. And also the other thing that I, I, I felt like, Taylor, in a really impressive way, like masterminds the rollout of her albums to the extent, like last time, do you remember all those like countdowns and pop-ups? And I felt like it was like a whole year we had rolling down. And there's something that's just so refreshing about here it is. Agreed. I loved that about it. It felt felt much more organic and it felt much more true. And I mean, I don't know, this may be in, uh, I, I, I watched her, like obviously I watch her very closely and, and I find her so fascinating and I do admire her as an artist and I admire her longevity. Mm. Um, 
but I think also think she's a brilliant songwriter. And this album tells stories again. It tells because I love Romeo and Juliet. Like <laughs> that's one of my favorite Taylor Swift songs. And it's a story. She tells a story, but also in this album she gets a bit sweary. You know, she she her voice gets a bit raw. It, the whole thing. I mean, my daughters don't like it. The, Chella and Odie felt like they were listening to the same song for sixteen tracks. I, so, I understand that. I mean, she doesn't. Yeah. She has resisted all temptation to put in any kind of pop banger. Like it's all in nah. a very. It is quite in quite a similar key, and you kind of yeah. need to be in the right mood. Mm. But I, it's a visual album too, though. Like you need to watch it in order the way it was intended with the with the visual aids and it's all beautifully shot and it's so dreamscaping and it reminds me of where I live and, you know, she's not oh, all yeah. she's not all made up. She's just got her hair in buns with a little bit of not much on and it's beautifully – it's just – it's the right mood for me right now. Oh, it's captured Totally. Lockdown. Oh, it's and ca- the weird thing about it is like, I mean, she's – I don't know where she's writing this, probably – LA. Yeah, but is that LA or Tennessee? Anyway, LA, I think so, yeah. You know, it's it's coming out in the American summer, but it feels so uniquely suited to this, mm. I, sorry, rest of the country, but to particularly this Melbourne winter. I had this moment when I was wandering yep. around and all the trees are stripped of leaves, everyone's wearing masks. It's, there yep. is this sort of weird mournfulness, but also like it's, it's, it's a weird mournful atmosphere, but it's also... I don't know, there's always also something a bit, like there is a sense of community that also comes out in this time, so it's not all completely bleak. And I was listening to that song, Exile. <laughs> Which one, Exile? The yeah, one yeah. with, do you say Bon Iver or Bon Iver? What is it? Bon Iver. Bon, bon Iver, okay. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to come out and say she probably didn't imagine that she was writing this about Melbourne in the second lockdown. <laughs> but there is so much, I mean, even the name Exile, like it does feel like Victoria's been exiled from the rest of the countries. And that whole thing of like being back in lockdown and the lyrics are, I think I've seen this film before. I didn't like the end, ending. You're not my homeland anymore. So what am I defending? You're my oh. town. Now I'm in exile seeing you out. I think I've seen this film before. And honestly, I felt like Taylor. Don't know how you've done it. I've never sounded more wanking than this. But anyway, don't know how no, you've done I it. I love it. But you have absolutely. It's just one of those yes. moments when a songwriter has absolutely yep. articulated the mood of a particular moment. And she's not even in this particular moment where no. she is. I think I've seen this film before. And I didn't like the ending. You're not my homeland anymore. So what am I defending now? You are my town. But don't worry, there's a little bit of saucy spice in there. She swears a couple of times. Yeah, but the song Mad Woman is so clearly aimed at Kanye and Kim. Every <laughs> lyric is may as well be called Fuck You, Kanye and Kim. <laughs> that song is delicious. It's got a line, women hunt witches too, which I love. And women like hunting witches too, doing your dirtiest work for you. It's obvious that wanting me dead has really brought you two together. Aimed clearly at Kim, so don't worry, she hasn't completely, you know, transcended all pettiness, thank God. There is still that song Mad Woman, which I love. I, I think it's great and that is just three minutes <laughs> of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, um, like, revenge. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, God, we've been talking for so long. This will be our longest one ever. Mike's probably fallen asleep, our producer. So, yeah, go and listen to Kanye. And Sorry, don't listen to Kanye. <laughs> we didn't even talk about Kanye, poor bugger. But I've deliberately chosen not to bring it up with you because I think he just needs to go away and get better. I don't think he needs anyone else discussing his mental health. Like I think it's it's pretty bad. Go and listen to Taylor Swift. Go for a walk. Go for a walk and listen to it. Put it put it, put it on your headphones, especially yeah. if you're in Melbourne. Rock up, go along, yeah. and then just listen to her yeah. lament. Yes, but also feel nostalgic. Wear your fucking mask. Put on a cardigan. That'll you'll understand when you oh, listen yes. to the album. Yes, track two cardigan. And when you watch Indian Matchmaker, just remember it's problematic, but it's okay to also hope that people end up together happy. Like that's they can exist together, as this is the theme of this podcast. <laughs> All right, I'll chat to you later. <laughs> Talk soon. Bye. Okay, bye. This is Emsolation. All right, well done. You got to the end of that. God, we love a chat, don't we? We love a chat. Hey, just before I do exit your earlobes, I wanted to ask a favour. We're going to be recording another Q&A this week. Uh, it, the last one did very well. You guys want to know some things. If you have a question for myself or for Michael or for both of us, please email it to hello at mrussiano.com or you can direct message us on Instagram at Podcast. Anything you'd like to know, any personal pop culture, I don't know, whatever you, comes into your little mind, just send it through and we'll answer your questions and the pod will come out on Friday. We love a bonus app week. Thanks again for your attention, for your time, for your love. We appreciate it and um, we'll chat soon. Bye. A Podcast One production.